Hello everybody and welcome to our virtual 67 Pall Mall. Uh, later on today for our last for event for this evening will be our own Barolo boy Nelson Parry who will be talking with the lovely Chiara Boskis from her estate in Barolo. And uh, now we're very pleased to welcome our good friend Jasper Morris, MW, who'll be discussing the Grand Cru vineyards of Chevy Chambertin. So please shout away on the side, share with us what you're drinking, where you're drinking it from, and hashtag 67 from home on social media. As the usual, well, at the end, we'll have 15 minutes to ask Jasper questions. And a big welcome, Jasper. How are you doing, Jasper? All good, thank you, Raymond. Uh, as in London, it's been particularly hot. I spent a very cheerful day down in the Mackinac in uh, Prefrice yesterday, and it uh, got really warm and today it's been even hotter and a bit more humid and looking out of the window I can see the thunderclouds starting to build up so uh, <laughs> the storm is forecast but I don't think I hope nothing too dangerous no hail nothing nothing ugly in yeah the la, la grelle the, the terrifying word yes. for a French vineyard absolutely but uh, so far the, the vines are looking incredibly healthy uh, there was a big crop set uh, slightly tamed in the flowering when a uh, little bit of uh, meliorandage when not all the grapes form properly uh, but it's it's set to be a happy healthy decent sized vintage unless something bad goes wrong and an early one again Great. Well, this is a pretty epic one, isn't it? Grand Cru Vineyards of Chevy Chamatan. So we'd love to hear your views on it. So, yeah, please, uh, please carry on. Great. Well, thank you, Renan. And uh, thanks, Martina, who is uh, hosting behind the scenes tonight. Um, this should be exciting. We often like to have a Grand Cru here and there. But tonight, all six vines are Grand Cru's. Unfortunately, for technical logistical reasons, uh, we're limited to six because it would have been nice to have had all seven of the satellite uh, hyphen Chambertin uh, Grand Cru's. So uh, we are going to look at six of them through the eyes of six different producers, assorted vintages, and uh, I'll start by setting the scene really of where the Grand Cru's are in Chevrolet Chambertin, which of course you all know, but uh, a little bit the idiosyncrasies of one or two of them, and then we can develop it further from there. So if Renan would care to put the map up for me. Um, we can we can play with this. Um, right, so here we have our map of Chevrolet Chambertin with the Grand Cru's all in one block as uh, in that sort of maroon purplish color. The Premier Cru's are in the orange and the Village Vines are in green. So uh, there are nine of these Grand Cru's in all and two other vineyards were talked about as if perhaps they should be. One is the Combot down here in a little bit of a dip and also most of the vines were owned by people in Maurice Saint-Denis. And the other is the famous Clos Saint-Jacques up here, uh, perfectly poised, southeast facing. <clears throat> and the two stories where it didn't get to be Grand Cru are one, that it wasn't attached to, all the others were adjacent to either Chambertin or Chambertin Clos de Bez. So that's one reason. And the other reason supposedly, might only be folklore, is that the uh, owner at the time, or at least the man representing the family who owned it, the Comte de Moucheron, was such a, uh, I was going to use a less polite word, but um, should we just say difficult personality, that uh, he offended everybody, refused to go to the meetings, uh, wasn't really prepared to fill in all the paperwork, and nobody was going to help him do that. So it never got declared as Grand Cru, even though today it sells at the same price as. So <clears throat> here are Chambertin and Claude Bears side by side, this one very long, rectangle of the absolute stars. 
and attached around the edges are Latricia, Masvayer, Charme, Griot, Chapelle, and then at the northern end, Mezzi and Rouchot. So um, we're going to start, the first four wines are those below the, um, the dividing line, if you like, is this white road here, which is known as the Route des Grands Crus. Then we're going to look at the two bookends, Latricia Chambertin and Mezzi Chambertin, that come above that road. And we're going to miss out today on the Rouchot Chambertin, because the wine I would have chosen, um, Henri Magnin's Rouchot Chambertin, we've actually uh, used the wine of his uh, uh, two or three weeks ago. And uh, somebody had to lose out. Great. Well, uh, welcome to you all. I hope that your the list of the wines is on the side there in the chat box. Uh, various people um, chatting away, telling us where they're coming from and, uh, and what they're drinking if they don't have these particular wines. Uh, but do, if you haven't already joined in, then, then please do. Keep, keep, keep the chat flowing. Uh, and also ask questions anytime you like. And if, if I'm able to, I'll answer them as we go through. If not, I'll tackle them at the end. And you can mention things on chat or use the, the Q&A uh, button as well. Right, well, we're going to start with Chapelle Chambertin. Uh, so it's one of the two smaller ones below Chambertin Clos de Bez. And as it happens, you're quite close to the mother rock here in both Chapelle and Griot Chambertin. So they have a, only a little bit of topsoil and they can dry out a bit in the uh, warmer years that we're having recently. So it may be that they won't be too favoured by global warming as we go further ahead. Uh, it's named after, um, uh, there was a chapel here originally built in the 1400s, I think, uh, the chapel of Notre Dame de Bears, as in Clos de Bears above it, uh, but it got destroyed, um, unfortunately, and finally uh, fell into ruins and was, was removed in 1830. Um, now I just checked, it was actually built a little bit earlier, it was built as early as 1155, rebuilt in 1547, and finally destroyed in 1830 in one of France's uh, regular bouts of revolution. So actually, you will see on this map, uh, the map won't be particularly clear on this scale, but there is a little line running down halfway through or two thirds of the way through Chapelle Chambertin. And left of that line, it's called um, La Chapelle. And right of that line, it's called Les Gemeaux, but everything is only sold as Chapelle Chambertin. There's a little bit more topsoil in the in this end, the, the northern end in the Gemo part, and uh, it dries out a little bit more easily perhaps in the other part. Uh, the producer we're going to have a look at um, here. In fact, um, if, if you could put up the, the first set of stats, please, Renan. Do I have to surrender the view? Probably not. And the glugging sound is my 2014 Domaine Trappé Perifice formerly Domaine JL Trappe, um, is poured into the glass. So what do we expect out of Chapelle Chambertin? It's frequently, along with probably Rouchot Chambertin, uh, these two are probably lighter in colour, and then next lightest would be Griot, uh, of all the uh, Chambertin hyphen satellite vineyards. Um, a little bit to do with the, the, the lightness of the topsoil, the relative lack of clay in the vineyards. Of course, who's making the wine is probably going to have a greater effect on the colour of the wine than exactly where they come from. But if you were to have, and nobody does have, 
all nine of these crews, then I would expect Richotte or Chapelle Chambertin uh, to be the latest. And I've noticed when tasting at uh, Trappé, and they have Chapelle Chambertin and Latricia and Chambertin, that usually this one is quite a bit lighter. We're in the 2014 vintage, now most beautiful of vintages for the white wines of Burgundy, and still very agreeable for uh, the reds, but um, not thought of as quite in the top drawer, having said which, it's a wine which will evolve that bit more quickly. So it wasn't the great sunshine year of 2015, 2018, 2019, probably 2020. Uh, so it's one of the last of the cooler vintages, as was well 13 and 14, and to some extent 17. What I've done is I have checked through each of these Grand Crus, and uh, the headline figure at the top is in hectares, the size of the vineyard, 5.49 hectares, and underneath in descending order of how much they own are the, in fact, normally it's all the producers, they pretty much add up to very close to the total each time. So the big, big producer is Pierre Damois, having said which, he doesn't bottle that much himself because uh, owning a huge amount of Chapelle Chambertin and of Chambertin Clos Bears, certain amount of Chambertin itself, he's got into the habit of um, selling grapes from particular plots to a handful of negociants, one or two of the big famous ones, and one or two of smaller growers who don't have these Grand Crus. Um, he's happy to do that. He wants to have enough wine to satisfy his regular clientele, but uh, he doesn't feel ambitious to go out there and do everything himself and start adding new vineyards, so on and so forth. In fact, what he does do with some people is he swaps the grapes from his vineyards for their grapes from small appellations. It might be Village Chevrolet, might be one or two other things around, so that he's got some inexpensive wines to offer to his customers rather than just the Grand Cru's. Now, we could have had his wine. I don't think he is the most typical producer in the modern times because he loves to pick really late. And he's not frightened of getting alcoholic degrees as he did in 2018, up around 15, even 15 and a half percent. And the weirdest thing is the wines actually taste balanced. Now, it may not, might not be a style that you yourself want to drink. And I went in to taste in a slight feeling of trepidation, thinking I was really not gonna like this. But if everything you do throughout the growing season is aiming at a particular style at one result, then it works. If you are trying to make a, a lighter, more balanced wine, and for some reason you ended up picking too late, you made a mistake and picked too late, the wine is gonna be horrible. So, um, so I, I mean, I, I absolutely give him a pass and I'm always delighted that we have lots of different people trying deliberately to make wines uh, in, in, in lots of different styles, uh, because I think that's really important to um, I've lost you, let's get you back. Sorry, you could, I hope you could still see me. I, I could no longer see you for a minute there. Um, so, so that's uh, uh, him out, out of the picture. Next down is uh, in size Domain Ponceau, and that has stayed with Domain Ponceau after Laurent has left the Domain. We're going to have um, the Domain's Griot Chambertin later on. Now the story is a little bit different. Um, that's a wine where, in fact, the new team at Ponceau has just fractionally tweaked how they make the wine because they felt that of all the wines that were being made before, that was one that didn't quite stand up to how good the others were. So they've just slightly backed off the extraction and, and accepted that it's a lighter style of wine and tried to make the wine in that style. 
Next two down are uh, the Trappe cousins. So the Trappe family, um, it began with Louis, then it went to Arthur, then it went to Louis again, uh, then it went to Jean, um, who's born in 1933 and still with us. Uh, his son, Jean-Louis, has uh, been in charge for quite a while now, uh, since about 1990. And, um, and now uh, Jean-Louis and his wife, Andre's two sons, Pierre and Louis, are getting involved in the business and also helping to run the uh, Alsace domain that the family has because Andre Trappé is from Alsace. So Jean-Louis um, headed off very early on into the organic and then biodynamic side of doing things is certified for, uh, for both those things. Um, went with BioDiva in 1998 and uh, Demeter in 2005. They do a certain number of cubase without sulfur now, um, but you know, they're pretty much in control of what they're doing. Uh, they're not wild and woolly and allowing all sorts of volatile or, or Brettanomyces flavors to climb into the wines. So even in the last couple of hot vintages, I've been very happy with what they've done. Um, it's a domain which has been reducing new oak and increasing the amount of whole bunch. We're gonna hear that quite a few times. But, so there's a bit more than half of the whole bunch fermentation in this wine. I'm just smelling it now and I can pick up some of that, some racy briary notes. The color is beginning to evolve a bit. It's still a brightish ruby in the middle, but the outsides are, are just beginning to turn more into a brick red style. Mm. Very pure, very clean, very cherry-like fruit. I've noticed that in other vintages here. Uh, but reasonably lean in style. The acidity is higher in this vintage than would be the case in many another vintage. And one of the things that you did have to do sometimes in 2014 was pick a little bit of early because of the wretched um, new fruit fly that invaded that year, the Drosophila Suzuki. Uh, which pierced the otherwise uh, healthy grapes and meant that uh, you had to uh, rush in and start picking perhaps a tiny bit earlier than you, than you otherwise would have done. Um, so I'm perceiving that. It'll be interesting to see how this evolves and uh, develops in the glass. But Chapelle Chambertin is certainly one of the slightly lighter and slightly leaner uh, styles, styles of wine within the Grand Cru range, which is why we began it had it as our first up. Hmm. Right, alongside that, I'm going to pour myself the Griot Chambertin. So the name of Chapelle Chambertin came, as I said, from the chapel. The name of Griot Chambertin, we're not quite so clear on. Lots of theories, choose your own. Pankar has kindly put up some even more detailed uh, uh, holdings. I do have the, the, those exact ones, but uh, I thought I would keep it a little bit simpler. Just have a look and see if we, I don't think we disagree with that. Looking down the list quickly. So why griot? Well, it might be because this also has a slight cherry flavor and griotine, griot, griotine are a particular type of cherry. Most people think it's probably not that. Um, it could be a corruption of uh, riot or uh, ruot, which could be because of, there's once a stream running through it. It could be that the G has been a, 
corruption of C, so creo, creot, cre, uh, referring to the uh, very limestone soil beneath. Some people think it's also, it might have once have been griot, G-R-I-L-L-O-T-T-E, um, because of uh, the, it's sort of in a sun trap, like a grill pan. Again, not sure if that's true. Um, if we could just keep that up uh, on, the, on the school board again, Ronan, for a little bit longer. Go back and have those. Thank you. So the biggest holding is Domaine de Chezo, uh, and they have a practice of um, farming out their vineyards, sharecropping agreements with various different producers, apart from the two mentioned there. Also, um, Amélie Berto has some vineyards from Domaine de Chezo, and I'm sure a few other people do as well. So Ponceau gets the lion's share, uh, René Leclerc, the second, second slot, both from Domaine de Chezo. Uh, and so some wine goes back to Chesseau and the rest they bottle themselves. Now you'll see I put down Laurent Ponceau rather than um, Domaine Ponceau because when Laurent Ponceau left the family Domaine, he got to keep with him all the sharecropping agreements. Uh, he could, they were in his personal name and though the, the rest of the family have been arguing with him about it, uh, he appears to have won that battle so he gets to keep those under his own label. So from uh, certainly 2017, I think maybe even 2016 vintage, the wine will be part of Laurent Ponceau and no longer Domaine Ponceau. Um, this to me is often a very successful wine uh, at, at Ponceau. I can remember some beautiful bottlings in the 80s, 85 and 88, uh, some before, some since as well. Um, it's in a form of an amphitheater, whether that was natural or whether it's been dug out a little bit, in order to quarry the stone below, I'm not quite sure. My friend Francoise Venier, um, the geologist, has suggested that at least parts of the vineyard may have been quarried out at one point or another. Alexis says his ponceau smells a port a little. Uh, one person agrees. Here's a second person agrees. There's a third person agrees. So either there's a little bit of oxidation in this sample, 2012, or they went in that direction in that vintage. Now, Laurent Ponceau is one of the most extraordinary, enigmatic, fascinating people in all Burgundy. Um, I, I should talk absolutely frankly about him. I've known him very well since I, since I really started uh, in the wine business in the very early 1980s. I've known him uh, since he began his father's domain. Complicated life he had there because uh, it was always difficult with his father and um, we should say this out loud in this period of Black Lives Matter, but uh, um, Laurent married a, um, a girl of mixed race and his parents refused to allow her in the house and that was really stressful and that's complicated their lives, all of them, uh, ever, ever since. Um, uh, but to, to, to move on for, uh, from that, Laurent is also somebody who will give you a theory about anything and everything. May not always give the same theory twice, he loves to be a controversialist. He's done some absolutely brilliant work chasing down uh, the crooks who've been relabeling things and offering fraudulent bottles. Um, but I don't necessarily take on board all of um, uh, Laurent's theories. One of which, and uh, I certainly take it on board in terms that he doesn't pick at the same time as anybody else. Whereas typically in Burgundy, the theory has been that you pick 100 days after the grapes flower, he says, no, 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 I, I, I follow the, the, what the old people say. 
and they would go out into the forest and there is a particular type of lily called the lys matagon and they will go walking in the forest and when that is flowered they count 100 days from there and so for a long period actually the ponceaux would typically not every year but typically pick quite a lot later than anybody else um, they would do they do things by phases of the moon and all sorts of other things and but they aren't strictly speaking organic and they aren't strictly speaking biodynamic it's more Laurent's own take, take of it, on it uh, from, from talking to previous generations. Uh, they claim to use no new wood at all, but they do buy a little bit of new wood and then sort of steam treat it so it doesn't uh, have any new wood effect on the wine. Um, certainly bottle, not just in phases of the moon, but they would cancel the bottling if the um, weather turned bad, it got cloudy and uh, they felt it was uh, turbulent. What we used to find of vintages, um, probably particularly in the 90s, maybe starting in the later 80s, was that there would be powerful, rich, intense wines in bottle, sorry, in barrel. And so you as the importer would be enthusiastic, write great notes, buy them, sell them to your customers. And after they'd been in bottle for a year or two, the color would fall out, the wines would taste old and tired and horrible, and where had it all gone? And then much later on, the colour would start to come back in. I didn't mention that uh, there's, there's almost no uh, sulphur used here. Um, the colour would, would somehow come back in and the wines would freshen up and much later on, might be 15 years on, um, then everything would, would, would be great. Um, so the notes on the chat are finding some oxidation. I certainly find that on the nose. I haven't yet put it into my mouth to follow up on the palate. Still, there's more freshness on the palate. Fairly uh, brisk acidity as well, which could yet save the day. Um, I might try and, um, I'm gonna pour mine back into its bottle if I can do that, and then come back to it later on. I haven't poured myself a glass for each wine. Just going to do that. And we'll just see if at the end of the tasting, whether or not it's come back to life. What I finish with at the end of my mouth doesn't feel oxidized, but um, what we start with, there is clearly a bit of oxidation. Paul has mentioned that the nose is opening up very nicely in the trappe, and it, and it certainly is, because it, it, it wasn't quite up to speed when we first poured it. the day being somewhat hot and I've had to uh, uh, shut my window because the family across the way, uh, the kids are out screaming around the garden, as why shouldn't they? But it does mean that, uh, that I didn't want that to impinge on the noise tonight, the noise that we make. Grand, um, if there's no more questions on, uh, on those first two, um, uh, Michael, I'll come back to you on, the, on when picking on the moon. Uh, you actually, in fact, you don't, I'll do it now, you don't pick at a full moon or a new moon. It's a rising moon or a falling moon, which depends on whether it's closer or away from us or, or closer to us, rather than whether it is waxing or waning in the sky. But when you have an actual full moon or actual new moon, or whenever it changes any part of the cycle, then that tends to be a bad day to do anything. Um, but uh, they talk about a descending moon as being um, 
the right time that you would do um, uh, many treatments, such as bottling, for example. But in fact, when you pick, you just got to pick when it's ripe. You can't necessarily wait for the whole moon. Uh, and anonymous wants to know if the nose is oxidized but not the taste, what's that, what, what's that tell you about the wine? Um, it could be the start of an oxidation pro process, or it could be, and I'm just trying to develop my thoughts here, I haven't come up with a, a firm answer, but sometimes you do get this uh, aromas of oxidation, but not the whole wine. So I'm coming to believe for the whites, and perhaps it's true where it happens in reds as well, that you just have one phenolic aspect of the wine, which has oxidized a bit, which can uh, revert later on. Okay, right. So um, if we have the map back, then um, we can look at Chom Chambertin and Mazvoyer Chambertin. Move question and answer. So I think I, <clears throat> I'm not taking control here, but you can see over towards the left, you have first of all Mazvoyer Chambertin slash Charm Chambertin. So that can call itself under either name. And then to the right, you have Charm Chambertin, which can only be Charm Chambertin. And uh, which order are we going to look at them? We're going to do the Charm first. Um, now, Charm is a much more attractive name. So for the longest time, almost everybody has called either wine Charm. And the only people who offered a Masbrayer Chambertin were people who had plenty of both and chose to do um, a bottling of each. People like Peromino, and we're going to have his uh, Charm Chambertin. But um, what I would say about Charm Chambertin, it, it doesn't have the bit that slides down towards the main road, which is in Mazoyer. Uh, it's a slightly richer soil, but also with plenty of stones in it. It's certainly richer soil than we saw in Griot and Chapelle. And in fact, if you are walking on your bicycle on that Route des Grands Cru, that's when you see and really feel uh, the slope. And having come out of Chambertin, your um, slope, it's level as you go past Massy Chambertin and Chapelle and Chambertin Clodebez and Briot. But from Briot, it actually goes up to Charm Chambertin and Masvoyer and La Tricière before dropping down at the southern end of Masvoyer and Vercombotis. So, so you're in a bit of a rise at Charm Chambertin. There's also, if you're looking at the map on the Charm Chambertin side, the around about where um, the beginning of the word Charm and the beginning of the word Chambertin are, you've got several growers who have got incredibly ancient vines, sometimes even over 100 years old, like Bachelet, Roti, Seraphin. They all are in a patch, uh, all quite close together. Maybe it was all one holding originally, um, but they've all, also all got completely ancient vines there. Uh, there's also a strip along the main road. Um, so if you were to follow uh, the road from Griot Chambertin to Charm Chambertin, then that first bit of Charm Chambertin, there's a small road running down, and the first bit along the Route des Grands Cru, the vines, instead of going up and down slope, they go parallel with the roads. And that belongs to Domaine Camus, Hubert Camus, uh, who sadly doesn't make good wine at all, in my opinion, though it gets sold very cheaply. <clears throat> but he does sell lots of grapes to other people, and the vineyard work is actually perfectly good. And so an awful lot of people who have Negation Cuvées of Charm Chambertin will come from there. And while we've got the map, so we don't have to keep going backwards and forwards, you can then see Mesvoyer Chambertin, where uh, I find the tannins are really quite different in this wine, um, and it is worth bottling it separately. So we've got a Charm Chambertin 
Les Mazoyers from uh, the Domaine de la Vougere. So theirs is all in the Mazoyer Chambertin uh, part, but originally it was called Charm Chambertin um, by uh, early generations. And so, but they thought they would make sure that we knew it was from Mazoyer. So they've kept the Charm Chambertin designation, but added Les Mazoyer. Um, and it's a slightly cooler vineyard being below Le Trissier Chambertin. And if Ronan, if you follow your, with your mouse back up through Le Trissier Chambertin, you can see how the Corbaniva, what are they in English, the contour lines uh, go back up into the hillside uh, above Le Trissier Chambertin, up into the forest there. You can see they go back. That's because they have one of their combes, but this one called the Combe Brisard, which funnels cool air down into Le Trissier Chambertin and into Masbrayer Chambertin. And it's also had the effect that it has brought down lots of um, uh, colluvial soil stuff, scree from further up. So that is why, in the same way that all the village vineyards of Chevrolet Chambertin below the main Combe de Lavo, they stretch right down below the main road because they have been spread out in the alluvial fan. It's a little bit true here over in the Masbrayer Chambertin area. And you do get the same soil in that bottom rectangle block next to the main road uh, as you do above it, which could explain why that block got included as Grand Cru when, when you look at the map, it, it doesn't appear to be a great decision, but there could be a reason behind it. Okay, so let's take a look at who has what and pour yourself if you haven't already. Zicham Chambertin, 2014 from Peromino. Christophe Perromino is a particularly well-groomed vigneron and he must have hated the lockdown because he uh, wouldn't have been able to look after his, his hair and the rest of it, if he doesn't mind me saying that. He's a great guy. He's also one of the people when I taste, I get the most fascinating uh, inter, interplay, interreactions when uh, we can really discuss things in a lot of detail um, and I learn a lot tasting him. So what you've got here, um, because this is much bigger scale, I'm afraid uh, the writing is gonna be that bit smaller. I hope you can see that clearly. <coughs> um, Left-hand column of figures is the total holding of the Charm and Masvoyer together. And then I've divided it, at least where we know, and we do, I do know in most cases, between what's in Charm and what's in Masvoyer. So <clears throat> Domain Camus has a huge holding. Rousseau has a fair amount, and they're one of the bigger domains that have a fair amount that don't divide it. They blend together their two bits. Peromino makes two separate wines, and every year the charm is the more charming, the more opulent, the more open, and the Mesoyer has a little bit more crunch, a few more minerals, a, little bit more, a few more tannins, um, probably less appealing young, probably going to age that, that little bit better. Um, and Topino Mem is interesting. They're cousins of Peromino. My understanding is that their whole holding is in Masoyer, but at two, the two different ends of Masoyer, one by Moray and one up next to Charm, and they actually um, make two different wines out of it. So you will find Charm Chambertin, which is from Masoyer, and Masoyer Chambertin, which is from Masoyer. So I'm not going to go through them all. I'll pick out a couple of people though. Reboso is another with a big holding. Uh, again, I, I found the wines to be well below standard in recent years, but uh, a majority stake has just been sold to Mr. Martin Bouygues, telecoms uh, guy who owns various chateaus in Bordeaux. And so we can hope to see something much better from that. Um, and then we have Domain Arlo, uh, whose wine is in uh, Masoyer Champotin, but he 
uh, mostly Mesguer at any rate, that figure's not right. Um, but he makes it deliberately in more of a sham style because they label it as sham. Uh, anybody else to pick out? I like the Dujac uh, is also split, split between the two, but they uh, vilify it all, all together. Um, wander on down the line and, uh, and choose your favorites, but they're all there down to Mr. Antonin Guillon, who has uh, only two ouvres in Burgundy speak, um, and so on. And you can see Joseph Roti, beautiful wine, but so little of it. Um, Denny Bachelet, one of my great favorites, very old vines, uh, just 43 hours. So there are a few people to, to uh, play around with. Um, I'm going to be, for the second edition of the book, uh, I'm going to be reworking this, but I can see one or two figures that uh, are not quite adding up. In particular, um, Arne Morte, that figure is, uh, there's a confusion there between Dini Morte and Arne Morte. <coughs> Good. Um, Victor Vougeret is a producer, Domaine La Vougeret. So I've just, I'm just pouring them one at a time this minute. Get around that by um, drinking down or pouring back my um, chapeau from Trappé. That way, my wife gets to taste them afterwards. Good. Right, two lovely wines, quite di uh, diff a bit different in the style of winemaking. Paramino used to be thought of as being a little bit in the inverted commas modern style with quite a lot of new oak, um, quite a long cool soak, uh, deepish colored, quite almost manicured wines, but he's really evolved from there. Uh, he's reduced the amount of new oak, so it's now 20% maximum. And he has increased the amount of whole bunch fermentation, but he doesn't want the stems to show. And I never really pick them up in tasting terms in the Peromino wines, but um, technically they are there. And what it helps in these richer vintages of late is it just cuts into the flesh of the wine and probably makes them, them better balanced. Um. That is so charm in style. Just soft, rich, appealing. Yes, it's 2014, so the acidity is correct and there's enough tension behind. In any case, Christophe Perromino is gonna make wines in that style uh, that will hold up and will retain their structure and their tension. But what you want is almost a, either a, a strawberries or raspberries and cream um, aromatics about Charme Chambertin. You just wanna be seduced by these wines from the very start. And that's sort of typical of wines called Charm everywhere uh, in Burgundy. Whether they're red or white, they all have this appealing style up front. It's 2014, so you can drink it now, um, but uh, you don't need to. This will last well. If I have this in my cellar, I would be probably looking at it well, I, 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 maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should actually drink 14s and 17s or at least drink a proportion of what I have rather younger. Um, but I'm probably going to start tucking into 14s. I'm going to say now five years, but knowing me, I'd probably leave it longer than that um, because I'm certainly not drinking 2008s yet. Um, <clears throat> but 
I'm English, many of you out there, you're, you're tuning in from all around the world and you'll all have your own opinions. That's why when I write about wine, I tend not to put a drink date on them because uh, so, um, they so much depend on your particular palate. Mm. Uh, Marcus asked if I'm willing to tell us whom Camus sells part of his Chambertin. His Chambertin is Cham Chambertin. Well, Camus Giroux gets them. Really, he sells such a lot that so many different people Really, a large number of people are going to get uh, yeah, his grapes. Um, and Paul asks about Ponceau. Is the RDS or a successful choice of closure such a wine and another, or uh, another potential cause for oxidation? Um, right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just find them so ugly myself that... Uh, uh, but I haven't gone into them. I haven't been as, as technical as I, uh, I should have. Uh, you've continued, Paul, saying, why did they stop using the RDS seal? I didn't know that they had. I will check that next time. Perhaps you confirm that they, you know that they have done. And is that with the change um, of family members? Uh, I know that Laurent Ponceau has continued with RDS seal. Domaine Herestein in Jorichon-Bretin have used it for a long time. Um, Somebody else I was tasting with, uh, I just have to see if the name comes back to me, uh, in the Cote de Bone, says they've been using it since even before uh, Ponceau. And everybody who's used it has sworn by it rather than at it. Uh, but I have heard in general chats that maybe, uh, maybe there has been an issue. Um, so, um, uh, Maras, just to say, if you name the wine as Chambertin Grand Cru, it can only come from Chambertin itself or the next door, uh, Chambertin Claude de Bez. It can't come from any of these other satellite ones. So, um, Cicely asks if the sheer size of Charm and Masbaya undermines the Grand Cru classification. Well, together, they're still only 60% of what um, Claude Rougeau is, uh, which maybe is, isn't the best uh, uh, argument for it. It may be difficult to believe the quality is right there across such large plots, but um, if you take Charm and Mesoyer as separate vineyards, and I'm sorry that they have allowed them to be put together, I wish they were separate, I think you could do it. I keep an open mind about um, the Mesoyer because it drops down so far. I'm not absolutely sure about that, but I think it is possible to make a consistent Charm. So, um, Oh, okay, right. <laughs> Ian asking the question, not the weird name my daughter has typed in. Apologies for that. Um, okay, uh, so I haven't yet tasted the Mesoyer, which is getting a lot of love uh, on the chair. Now here, we've got a domain that has moved, in, since 2008, they've moved quite smartly towards using whole bunch vinification. 2007 of this wine, no whole bunches at all. 2008, 50%, 2009, 50%. They built up quite quickly to 80% in 2015. It's 100%, not for all their wines, but this particular wine. The vines were planted in 1901 and 1902. I expect there's a proportion of younger wine vines. Certainly there will have been some uh, replanting of dead, dead spots. Uh, but this is easily the oldest uh, wine in their stable, or sorry, the oldest vines in their vineyard stable. And actually, okay, they have three barrels of Musenay, which is spectacular, and I particularly like the Bon Mar. But otherwise, or even leaving the other side, the Champ Chambertin Masbaire is my favorite Rougeret wine. And every year I fall in love with this. Um, 
Victor has asked about oxidation. Maybe on the nose is the tiniest, tiniest amount, um, but but not very much. It's more the whole bunch uh, affected this way. Mm. The other thing, like at um, Trappe, like at um, Peromino, they've also in this period significantly reduced the amount of um, new wood. So their Grand Cru's used to be 80 to 100% new wood and up to 50% whole bunch. And now it's sort of the other way around, 80 to 100 whole bunch and no more than 50 new wood. Um, but at the time of this, it was 70% new wood. I can reveal it was picked on the 12th of September on a root day. Um, and it was bottled after 18 months, also on a root day. Um, it's fascinating. If you go to the Domaine de la Rougerie website and look up any wine, they'll give you the details for every vintage, when it was picked, almost who picked it, uh, what time, whether they'd shaved that morning or not, and so on and so forth. So lots of excellent detail from uh, Domaine that, uh, as you would have gathered, I'm very fond of. Mm. So I personally am a fan of the whole bunch style. I also love the, the D-stem style, um, but the whole bunches are much more marked in this wine than they are in the Peromino wine. And that's the way that both producers would like it to be. The Vougeret, they're perfectly happy to have it showing on the nose. And in the case of Peromino, they'd like to have it as a, a tool, a structural effect, but they don't want it to dominate the style of the wine. Okay, I hope, I hope I'm representing their thoughts. Uh, that's what I take away when I go and visit them. Um, but I hope I'm accurately representing um, what people are thinking. Right. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying this pair more than the previous pair. And it's quite interesting because I would have said the same for a long time. But in general, if you ask the opinion of people, are there any Grand Cru's which are, uh, don't deserve to be there? then Charme Chambertin is very, very frequently uh, mentioned. Uh, but I've now slightly changed my view. I've come back to a bit of love for Charme Chambertin, and there are really a lot of producers making a great wine. As I mentioned, I would prefer them to make Mazoyer separately. And you can make an argument that if you were to redraw the appellations, I wouldn't mind putting Mazoyer with its slightly more structured, more tannic, wilder side to it, I wouldn't mind putting Mazoyer Chambertin into Marie Saint-Denis and leaving Charme Chambertin with Chevrolet, but still. Um, yes, do by all means keep these wines in the glass for longer and uh, see how they go on. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pour them all back and then I can pour them all uh, uh, out again for, for a retaste later on. That way they should stay a little bit fresher than leaving in the glass because my room here it's an old-fashioned stone house, but it's not uh, air-conditioned. Um, as usual, you'll be asked to vote on the wines at the end, and as usual, we will give you uh, two choices, so you can pick your two favourites. Those of you who've signed up for the whole nine yards, the full experience. Where are we going to go to next? So let's do Mezzi Chambertin. Okay, back to the map, if we may, please, Ronan. a bit guilty using Ronan as my slave here, but uh, I'm going to quite dominate uh, juggling the maps while I'm talking, pouring wine. He's circling Messi Chambertin. Now you will see that that white line, the road that comes down at an angle through it, that basically divides Messi O on the left of it and Messi Ba on the right, so upper and lower Messi. 
But of course, you can equally see that the top of the lower bit is much higher than the bottom of the higher bit. So uh, the, the names aren't quite perfect, but who cares? There is theoretically a difference. I don't think it is so strong as you might find in sort of upper and lower massa uh, um, from a cru charm. Uh, but in general, the underlying rock of Mazi Chambotin is pretty similar to that of Chambotin Claude Bez and maybe and uh, Rouchot Chambotin above. Um, whereas it's a little bit different below the line and is more like Le Corbeau, uh, even though the wines in, in Mazi Chambotin, I've never, however good the producer, I've never had a Corbeau that matches a, a Mazi Chambotin. I think this is a slightly unsung hero. The wines have, the, the topsoil here is a, a little bit um, uh, deeper and richer than uh, most of what we've been trying so far, but not enormously so. Um, it gets more so with La Tricia Chambotin. But I find Mezzi Chambotin, and it can be spelled M-A-Z-Y, that's how Rousseau spelled it. These are wines of muscle and relative power that sit up and make a statement. And there are, there are a lot that I really, really enjoy. Um, so if, Ronan, we can now move from here and take a look at the scoreboard. Right, nine hectares in all. Um, the Ospice de Bone have the biggest shout, so they were given it by uh, Madeleine Collignon. She bequeathed that vineyard to the Ospice de Bone. I uh, can't remember when, it was uh, a little while ago, but I'm gonna say the 1970s, but I might not be right on that. So, uh, but it's, if you wanna buy a Grand Cru at the Ospice de Bone sale, um, this is the one to go for. Uh, it's usually slightly my favorite alongside the Echisseau um, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and the Corsons and the Claude de la Roche. But sometimes it's the Echisseau, sometimes it's Claude de la Roche, sometimes it's one of the Corsons. But the big difference is there's nearly 30 barrels of this. So uh, the price is therefore uh, is better for a wine that's uh, possibly the best, but certainly at least as good as the others. Uh, Favourly, uh, and those figures uh, represent them having taken over Dupont-Tissurando. Um, so they're the second biggest holding and uh, it, they are certainly one of the, the key producers for me. Ribelso, I have to pluck up courage and, and go back and see what's going on there. Uh, Ramon Geoffroy, a reasonably uh, modern, very competent, very sound style. Um, again, I'm slightly overdue uh, for a visit. Russo, of course, have a lot. Uh, just go down to some of the smaller people. Uh, it's the only Grand Cru vineyard amongst his range that Livia Bernstein actually owns some of. Um, Dugapi, of course. A uh, number of good names in, in and around in there. Morte. Um, yum yum. Um, but I'm, we're going to talk about what was Domain Mom at the time in 2010 was Domain Mom, is now Domain Tours. And this, this is uh, a real. Marmite, or if you're listening from uh, other parts of the world, a Vegemite wine, a real uh, uh, divider in general. I better pour some, I haven't tried this one at all. The potential of this wine is absolutely great. Um, Father Mome used to make magical wine from here that sometimes was a little bit wild and funky and quite often really quite reduced. Um, here's my... No, I have got it, I have got it, good. Uh, and I can spend a bit of reduction there. Um, and under his son, before the whole thing um, went a little bit pear-shaped and they uh, they sold up to the Canadian, Murray Taos, and uh, uh, the other Canadian, <laughs> his winemaker and general manager and director and co-owner, uh, Pascal Marchand. Um, 
who've now taken this over. Uh, but prior to that, sometimes the reduction used to get completely out of hand. Um, and and San Mom, Bertrand Mom, used to be unable to, he just didn't have that. He could taste the wine in all the other ways, but he didn't have the ability to spot if it was redu reductive or not, which meant when it was a little bit reductive, it could sometimes gallop away. Some years remained beautiful and some years it would just um, take over. Twenty ten, that most lovely uh, of vintages that we had no great expectations of right at the start, um, simply because it was. Uh, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> I looked away from the screen so as not to spray you with any particles of anything nasty. Um, it um, uh, twenty ten, yes. Uh, Early on, it looked as though it was going to be a difficult vintage. It was quite rainy, quite cool, late harvest, end of uh, September into October. Uh, nobody had great expectations. As it turned out, the wines were beautiful and um, people went away very happy, but only a year or so later. And now we just like it more and more. The only thing I'm finding is if I put nines and tens side by side, I think nines have got more staying power. And unless you picked a bit late and the wines were a little bit soupy, it's going to be the, um, a really great vintage in 25 years' time. And 2010, I think, is just climbing into a beautiful place now and will stay there for at least another 10 years, but might not be so exciting in 25 years' time. Right, so I am just tasting it. Do you pick up that slightly tasty biscuity? It's not from the barrel. It's a little bit of reduction. It's not aggressive. It hasn't gone all sulfury on us uh, or rubbery, uh, but it's a rem remnant of a bit of reduction uh, in, in the wine. Um, one quote for Feral there. Uh, so um, David just asked, can I describe the characteristics of reductive wines? Um, so reduction is the opposite of uh, uh, oxidation and it's a basically a sulfur compound uh, builds into the wine. In a really bad example, and we used to get these prior to 15 or 20 years ago, when the wines were totally hideous and would sometimes blow off, but you get the bad eggs smell of um, uh, hydrogen sulfides. Um, and when it's not as bad as that, it is a little bit vegetable, a little bit rotten. Um, uh, a sort of a sweet and sour taste can come in there as well. Sometimes you have to work out, is it reduction or is it a bacterial thing uh, going on? And I don't see anything bacterial. If it's bacterial, it's going to affect the palate as well. If it's reductive, you pick it on the nose. In the mouth, you get the fruit, but with just, just a little bit of, um, it tightens up the finish a little bit. Um, do keep following those comments on the chat show because people are uh, adding their own knowledge to what I'm saying, which is thoroughly welcome. Thank you very much. So, The bouquet, that tiny bit of reduction, but suggestion also more to come later on. On the palate, this is the richest wine, I think, so far, the headiest wine. Still a very young fruit, colours held up well. I think there's plenty more to come from this. And uh, it's the sort of wine where I can just imagine myself sitting down and drinking it across the evening. And I'd love to have a bottle of that, share with my wife or uh, with the right food over a long period, watch it develop in the glass. 
So um, I shall look forward to a little retaste of that um, later on. Okay, so now we zoom right to the other end, Latricia Chambata. Uh, got a quick glimpse of the map there. So we're right at the southern end, uh, above the Masbera Chambata, below what they call the Combe Grisard, uh, which leads back up uh, uh, this Kumo Valley, leading back up the hills. Next to Combat, it's almost everybody's last uh, Grand Cru vineyard to pick uh, because there's also what you can't see in Murray Saint Denis is quite a big hillside with trees on behind uh, the hillside of Mont Louison. Uh, which is sheltering it, so you don't get the evening sun in La Fusilla-Chambertin. Um, so that also adds to coolness. It's a deep and reasonably humid soil. Um, the name La Fusilla apparently originates from words that mean that it's, it's worthless. You couldn't grow a normal crop there, bung vines in instead. But this is definitely a site that's going to gain rather than lose uh, with the global warming, whereas Chapelle-Chambertin could be the other way around. So uh, with our friends Rossignol Trepe, so the cousins of Jean-Louis Trepe. Jean-Louis's uh, father, Jean, had a sister called Madeleine or Meadow, and she married one of the um, amazing tribes of Rossignol from, um, amazing tribe of Rossignol from uh, Colnay. At least if you decide that you want to marry a Rossignol, you're gonna have a huge number of boys to pick from because they have large families and they seem to have sons more than daughters. Um, so uh, they have um, uh, two sons, um, the, Ros the relevant Rossignol and Meadow Trepe, and the sons are called Nicolas Rossignol, but not the same as the one in Bern, and David Rossignol. And Nicolas is married to Florence, who is the sister of Christophe Peromino, whose Champs Champetin we had. So it'd be pretty impossible to do a wine tasting of six wines from the same village uh, all from different producers and not have some sort of uh, intermarriage going on. That's one of the many joys of Burgundy, as well as what's in the glass. So here we are uh, with the um, Latricia Chambertin, Rossignol Trappe. Every year, whenever I, I used to go there as a uh, sort of the importer and uh, taking our sales team round, and every year we'd say, okay, everybody, Chapeau Chambertin, Latricia Chambertin, which do you prefer? And, uh, and the same with their two premier crews, which have something of the same balance. Um, and it, it would depend, every year it's different. But on the whole, um, the hotter years, we're gonna like the Tricio Chambertin. This is 2014, so warm enough, but not one of the really hot years. Um, but the Tricio, we were going to show you the 2009, but the people um, who it was gonna be, who had been ordered from, who confirmed it, delivered a completely different wine. So in terms of getting the samples out, we went with the uh, 14, which we could find. This um, is again, sort of reduction in new oak uh, and under half and build up of um, whole bunch to between a third to a half, given the vintage 2014 would be more than a third, probably not as much as a half. Congratulations to Nicolas and uh, Florence, they've just become grandparents, um, keeping you up to date with the social scene in Burgundy. It'll be quite interesting to go back and taste the very first wine, the Chapelle Chambertin 2014 from Trappe, because we can now go full circle. We've got the two cousins with the two vineyards that they both have, and both in 2014. So I'm going to do exactly that. 
and then I'll start looking at your questions. So keep building up those, uh, those questions. Thank you for that uh, enthusiasm, Scott. I've been very good because I kept the social information coming without being quite as crude as I might be or indeed telling tales out of school, uh, which could be, a, that would have to be a two hour Zoom if we did that. Do put your own comments up if you've had the same opportunity to go back and forward. Hmm. There's more weight in the Latricia. It's showing the more useful of the two, slightly lower acidity, but there is a buzz of fruit that's come out now in the Chapelle Chambre town, which I'm really enjoying. So, yet again, it's one of the reasons why I don't really like having to give scores out of 100 or any other score for wines, because what really matters is bringing out the stylistic differences, and then you can choose which is the style for you, or indeed when to drink the wine. And when you have people making wines in different styles, and you end up giving them the same score because they've both done really well or quite well, um, it's, it's hard to uh, send the message. If people only look at the fact you've given a 94 or a 92 or a 95, then it's, uh, it's hard to do it. Yes, I agree that the Chapelle remains more acidic than the Latricia, uh, but uh, you know, they're, they're both good wines and uh, I do have a preference, but uh, I know both families well, and I'm not going to specify it. I'm gonna come back to your questions uh, start having a thought. Um, I'll do a couple of questions, then we'll do the poll, if Martin has got that ready, but um, I'll just check uh, if there is any question that we... Uh, oh, Ronan's also put up the, the list of the Ruchot Chambertin there, because we didn't do that. You can see who the producers are. Uh, Frederick uh, Emmanuel Esmenau uh, doesn't own his 0.51. It was an agreement. I have a feeling that there's a change there, and maybe those vines are being redistributed or at least partially redistributed, but I haven't found out the answer. Otherwise, Rousseau, of course, the classic. And when he bought in 1977, Charles Rousseau bought the Claudio Rousseau. He also uh, was offered the slices which gone to Minerai Giborg and to Michel Bonafont, who's given his to, uh, uh, the care of his to Rousseau, to Rumier. Uh, so they all changed hands in 1977. Trepe Rochelande must be a cousin of some sort. Henri Magnat, now once again in really good hands. Chateau de Marcenay, really up and coming. And I only went to taste for the first time in uh, the autumn at Marchand Griot, but I do like what they do, but obviously with any point that's a barrel a year, a barrel and a half a year. Okay, perhaps we could do now before the questions uh, and before some of you may need to disappear, may we do the poll, please? All agog, as Martina sends it up. So, big Two choices, uh, they should be in the same order that we tasted them. Uh, we'll give you, you only really, I'm sure you know your own minds, we'll give you 30 seconds to do it. Renan and I can't choose. I will tell you my choices afterwards, but uh, we can't choose. Um, rats, I'm only allowed, I'm not allowed. Six choices, I'll stick to two. Okay, I'm gonna count down. Five, four, three, two, one. Close the poll and give us the answers. Da 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 da. Domaine de la Vougeray in gold position on the podium with 52% for the uh, Champ Champ de les definitely one of my picks. Uh, Perimino second with 44%, also probably one of my picks, but I was struggling. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was 
Yeah. Uh, then we have a tie for third place, the bronze medal between Domaine Moam and Domaine Rossignol Trappe. I did love both of those. Um, oh, oh, no, I'm not going to choose. And then um, after <clears throat> Domaine Trappe, perhaps had acidity just a little bit too much. And Ponceau would have been better if it hadn't had that oxidation for most of us. Do mention on the chat if you felt your Ponceau sample wasn't oxidized at all, um, because whether or not it's between leaving uh, London and arriving with us has made a difference, particularly in this hotter weather. And I will mention that 67 Palmao are changing their packaging systems very shortly. You'll get bigger packaging, but it will all be recyclable recyclable, I shouldn't have started that word, uh, and it will be better protection against the summer heat, just so that you know that. Great, um, I assume you can all still hear me happily, and I see most of you are staying with us. Let me just help with those last few questions. Um, uh, Julian, the domain of Rougeray wine is completely separate from Jean-Claude Boisset. Everything which is domain has gone with Vougeray and Jean-Claude Boisset is, and they're really good, the JC Boisset wines, uh, is uh, all négociant. Incidentally, I would just make a remark, and perhaps I shouldn't do this in case they're listening in, but the image of Jean-Claude um, uh, Boisset is that a self-made man, a bit of a wheeler dealer, businessman rather than a wine lover, it really isn't true. Uh, he cares about his wines, he gives both Jean-Claude Boisset winery and Domaine Le Bougeret freehand to do everything the best they possibly can. I went to collect some bottles from Bougeret uh, last week for a tasting that we'll be doing. Um, and uh, it so happened that he was there uh, with the general manager. And he's just one of the loveliest men. Uh, I really, really appreciate him. So the public image simply because of his success isn't the same as what that man is about. Really, really top guy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can't answer the, your question. There are so many names in this famous region. How do they make themselves stand out from each other? It's the fascination. It's the constant uh, up a bit, down a bit. This person does better. This person does less well. Uh, some people get to know and love one producer. Some people love another. Really, to understand Burgundy, we have to try to avoid making absolute decisions. We have to go with, I'm excited by this for this reason. That's the wine I want to drink tonight. This is the wine where the, the, the character and the emotion of it stand out. And we can all make different choices on that. Uh, so I did cover reductive earlier with that slightly sort of stinky feel in the wine, so I won't, won't go back into that. Can I, can I comment on closed periods for Red Burgundy? Do I think any of tonight's wines are closed at the moment? Not sure I think any of them are, was your comment. Um, yes, I mean... But it does go in waves. It does in the barrel before it's bottled. It does again in life afterwards. Um, nothing was horribly closed. Actually, I suspect the Moan wine is a bit closed compared to what it will deliver later on. So, though I wanted to give my, my second vote uh, to the Latricia Chambertin from Rossignol Trappé and probably did, I think the Moan will eventually be uh, uh, an even greater wine. Um, uh, no, otherwise nothing was particularly hidden tonight. But we've sort of chosen vintages which were likely to show well at the moment. Um, Arnu Le Show opens the upper part of Latricia. I think is it more Morian stuff. Latricia is a Chevrolet Champagne, not a Morian Saint Denis for me. 
it's Mazoya where I think you could make the change. But Le Tricium remains full on Chevrolet. <clears throat> of course, what Arno uh, Le Chou are doing now, utterly sensational, becoming really expensive. Um, you know, they're, they're unashamed about that, and I'm perfectly happy uh, that they've done it that way, but it is really quite extraordinary what they're doing. And there is a little bit of a little bit of Von Romane in there as well. In, uh, I don't mean in the wine, but just in the stylistic thinking behind what they're doing. Uh, Jess, there is exact, absolutely no difference between Francois Foyer and David Dubon, Botanx and Charme Chambertin. So Francois Foyer was the businessman who bought the vineyards, got David Dubon to make the wine for him. David gets a share, Francois gets a share. It's all one wine. It is just as they go on the, uh, through the labeling machine, some get labeled one way, some get labeled the other way. Ming, I like your last comment. I won't redo that. Otherwise, I shall have to be embarrassed. But thank you. Um, Jay asks, what's the most widely planted clone in Chevry Chambertin, Grand Cruz? Uh, actually, there's loads of old vines. Many, many people were uh, planted before clones came into being. Almost everybody in Burgundy who does use clones uses a wide variety. They try not to be monoclone. So it would, even if there will be one that must be a little bit more than the others, but it will distort the real answer if, uh, if I knew and if I told you, and I don't know, so I tell, couldn't tell you anyway, but most people are still using old style um, uh, selection massal, i.e. just what's sort of reproduced from previous grapes. And Paul, um, I'm current thoughts on Dauvin. You drink much more Dauvinet than I do. I have a friend in Hong Kong uh, who, who is a big collector and very, very kindly shared them with me. Um, but I don't have enough uh, knowledge of current uh, Dauvinet Mazzi and Le Roi Latricia, except to say that when I have tasted from the two domains at a dinner, drunk the wine side by side, it seems to me to be a lighter touch to uh, the Dauvinet wines, and I mean that neither more positively nor, the, nor more negatively, um, whereas the Loire wines have been more massive statements of, of what uh, Madame Loire is about. Of course, she's controlling the winemaking in both places. They're not made in the same cellars, and whether the yeasts are different, who knows. But I've typically found something which is a little bit more ethereal with Dauvinet and a little bit more... Uh, I have to choose the words, because if I say massive, I don't mean that in a negative sense, but uh, exceptional concentration in the Loire wines. That's a take without having quite enough experience of these wines to, to want to be more certain. Um, and yes, Anonymous has asked me about retasting, and I haven't, and I now will retaste the... Sorry about that, you saw me slurping the wine on screen. Let me pour, re-pour the griot from Ponsain, see where we are. Paul has just answered that, uh, yeah, you clearly are more in the Dauvinet style than the Le Roi. And uh, I, I see, I hear exactly what you say. Some of you are needing to leave now, and why I just taste this um, Ponsain wine. That's freshened up, you know. It's not, it, no, there's still oxidation on the nose, but, but it hasn't got more oxidized. Let me tell you about the next couple that we're going to be doing, or I'm going to be doing. Uh, so what are we with? The 25th of June today. 1st of July, I've got the young blood, uh, Léa Lafont um, from Domaine des Comptes Lafont. 
Mathilde Griveau from Domaine Jean Griveau, and Clément Boyau from both Domaine um, Louis Boyau and Domaine Ghislaine Bateau. He's now making the wines of both. And they're going to join me for a chat with two wines of each. Uh, I'm not going to put them too much on, um, uh, on the spot. Some of them have taken over the winemaking, some of them haven't. Uh, but I really want to get the feel of what, it, what it's like to join an already established domain. And, uh, and so I, I, I'm going to let them give their feelings more than try to get super technical with them. And then on the 6th of July, and I really hope you come to both these tastings because I think they're both going to be magical, uh, I will be with Ludovic Grivo talking about the wines of the Auspice de Bone that we touched on on the chat earlier with samples. And she is uh, such a good communicator. And also she would have been working out there with the team in the vineyards during 2020. She can bring us an update on the news there. And that will be absolutely one not to miss. After that, I may take it a bit quieter over the summer months, uh, but I hope to continue doing these. And I will um, also reissue the promise uh, from 67 Pound Mile that even if we get 100% out of lockdown, these Zoom webinars are going to continue. So, Thank you very much, Jasper. As always, very enlightening. Um, fantastic to hear you talking about Burgundy. Um, we're looking forward to everything that you've got coming up with us. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. And uh, we'll definitely continue after lockdown. Probably not five a day, but we will continue. Uh, I'm just going to answer a final question I've seen from Richard saying, big fan of Mazzy and Chappelle, the Champetain um, Vignons who taste tonight, do I have a preference leaving aside growers between Mazzy and Chappelle? And I prefer, well, I prefer Mazzy uh, is one of my favourites. I love Ruchot that we didn't taste tonight. Uh, otherwise, it is a question of individual producers. Uh, there's none that disappoint me, but, um, but you know, Mazzy, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of Mazzy. Great. On that note, I shall sign off. Um, well, thanks, Jasper. Again, next time. But uh, great to see you all. Thank you so much.